Hi there. If you're just discovering Jewelry Navigator podcast, I wanted to introduce myself. My name is Brenna Pakes, and I'm a graduate gemologist of the Gemological Institute of America. I have a degree in geology. Once I finished with that, I just really had a passion for learning more about gemstones. So I've worked mostly with the retail sector, which has given me some great insight into how best to help and assist and inform consumers like you who want to know more about what you're looking for and what you already have. I have a lot of fun sharing stories and behind the scene insight from all kinds of people within the jewelry industry, from gemologists to jewelry designers to gemstone faceters. It's a world that most people are really not that familiar with, but it truly is fascinating. And I thank you so much for tuning in and want to invite you to subscribe if you already haven't. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome aboard. What is an emerald and why are they so enticing? There is no other gemstone with the same rich, pure green as emerald. And like the fine gem quality sources from Colombian mines and other sourced emeralds around the world, they almost glow from within. And it's no surprise that the verdant gem has enticed and captivated emperors, sovereigns, wealthy celebrities, and gem collectors across the globe. I welcome you today to Jewelry Navigator podcast with the continuation of my visit with Adrian Sanago, GIA graduate gemologist, and we share details about emeralds and the best ways to wear and enjoy them, and some of the accepted treatment methods that people and consumers need to be aware of. It's nothing to be afraid of, and once again, this is something I take a lot of pleasure in doing is informing and educating consumers so that you understand the best way to care for and wear your precious gems and jewels. Thank you so much for joining me again this week for Jewelry Navigator podcast and enjoy the episode. One more thing that I want to mention real quickly, next week I will be in Edison, New Jersey at the New Jersey Mineral Fossil Gem and Jewelry Show with Tucson Todd's Gems, Todd Wax of Tucson Todd's Gems, and Mary Vanderay of Mary Vanderay Fine Jewels. Come and see us in Edison, New Jersey, May 17th through 21st. And that, once again, is the, the New Jersey Mineral Fossil Gem and Jewelry Show. Next week, May 17th through the 21st, and we'll be in booth 485. Stop by and see us, and I'm going to be doing a, um, a fun, impromptu visit with social, on my social medias, as well as probably, you never know, maybe a pop-up podcast. All right, I'll see you guys soon. Emerald is one of the, what people consider the big three gemstones uh, as far as colored stones. So emerald, sapphire, and ruby are what most people are really familiar with. And the nice thing about emeralds now is that they're available for every budget, but people need to realize that they may or may not be lab grown and most likely they're treated to some degree. 
So understanding those contributing factors to a gemstone is is really important as a consumer. Those are the kind of aspects that you and I are really passionate about and being able to share this kind of information with people so that they can prepare themselves to go into a store or start looking online for what they want. And emerald happens to be a very popular gemstone. It's also the gemstone for May being their, its birthstone. It's um, one of the most identifiable gemstones. I don't think, I was kind of writing some notes down and there's no other green gemstone that is exactly the same green as emerald. It's a very identifiable stone. I agree. Um, Yes. And um, it has a really interesting history. I was kind of touching up on on my notes and I think one of the one of the sources said it, it's been mentioned or historically as as far back as five thousand years. Cleopatra mm-hmm. was um, it was one of her Collector. favorite gemstones. So it, it kind of gets you thinking. And when you think, you know, Cleopatra, you know, Egypt, and why why were there emeralds there? And then kind of like what we were talking about making people curious and maybe, you know, somebody listening to this, knowing that they have an interest or somebody they know has an interest, you know, where, where would emeralds have come from in Africa? And when most people associate emeralds with Colombia, the Colombian source, and what people don't know is that there are several other sources for emeralds. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about the different sources um, that you know of and why some might look different, both in color, not only in color, but in the inclusions, the clues that we look for to help us know or give us the 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 hints and the um, what we're looking for to identify it as a Colombian emerald or something that might be more valuable than another emerald from another source. Okay, so now you're going to test me. So, so <laughs> let me let me look. So, I know that emeralds are also found in um on the continent of Africa in uh Zambia. Mm-hmm. Emeralds are very famous right now and um there's okay, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Mm-hmm. India, Pakistan, mm-hmm. Russia, mm-hmm. Brazil. Yes. Hey there, I'm jumping in here real quick to add a couple of notes as far as the sources where emeralds have been discovered. Before the Colombian emeralds were discovered in Colombia by the Spanish in the 16th century, Egypt was the main source for emeralds. And while it was a very small source and the quality was not very good, the location has been referred to as Cleopatra's Emerald Mine. One thing that I'm always curious about too about emeralds is we always hear about them being oiled or filled or treated and I would think that most of them in you know currently on the market are treated to some degree and I think that that is a factor that salespeople need to begin disclosing to customers as a 
as a valid and an accepted treatment for emeralds, but it's also one that needs to be treated with care and understanding that if you put that into an ultrasonic, it could affect the way it looks. Absolutely. So talking about accepted treatments, but also treatments that need to be um, understood better so that a gemstone isn't ruined if it's and in addition to the ultrasonic cleaner, uh, it's also the torch. If the right. ring needs to be, you know, um, resized or or repaired, a prong is going to be repaired. The torch will make, make the um, treatment um, leach out of the, you know, the cavity or whatever the include, you know, the space that it that was used to fill, especially the oils, like right. depending on the type of treatment that was used. Um, so that's why treatments, like you said, have to be disclosed, but it's also the law, as we know, um, yeah. FTC guidelines um, say that you have to, but again, being careful how you relay that information to the consumer, because when people hear treatment, it always has a negative connotation. And, and with emeralds, it's expected that it should be, it would have been treated and very rarely is there an emerald that has not been treated in some way. Very. Mm. And then those particular types of emeralds that have not been treated are really out of reach for most consumers to begin with. <laughs> so um, if someone's telling you that an emerald was not treated um, and it's, you know, a fine color and all, you know, all things being equal, it's a great stone. You should be very wary of that. And you should ask to see a report. Yes. The really fine, like collectible and collectors and um, exclusive gemstones that have been um, owned in exclusive provenance stories like Elizabeth Taylor, those really important gemstones those are most likely not treated, correct? Would you say that those kind of important stones? Yeah, a very high percentage that they have not been treated or they may have minor oil, as they call it, like minor enhancement. Um, okay. Very like there's levels of treatment. And, you know, most emeralds, as you know, um, have clarity. I mean, I'm sorry, um, inclusions. Um that's what makes up the garden, as they call it, in an emerald, the inclusions that give it so much character. And we expect to see that in, in natural emeralds. Um, in fact, if the absence of those inclusions should give you pause to say, is this a natural or a created emerald? Yes. You emeralds have no inclusions. Right. Something to be expected. And admired. It's one of the few gemstones that inclusions are um, considered okay. You know, something you expect to see. Yes. As you mentioned, some of the important emeralds um, that are in collectors' um, hands or possessions probably have no treatment or very minor clarity enhancement, as we call it, or treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Maybe talk about some of the interesting inclusions that you've come across with emeralds that were able to help you identify them as natural emeralds. It could even be stones that you you examined when you were taking your gem ID course. Yeah, so a lot of the times it's the three phase inclusions. Mm -hmm. Those um, are really cool. 
Yeah. So when you have those, um, that's almost like a diagnostic of a natural um, emerald. Yeah. And for those, um, and those you, are hard. To, yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know what a three phase inclusion is, the three phases of, you know, physical chemistry and, and matter are, you know, a solid liquid and a gas and mm -hmm. the environment in which emeralds, especially Colombian emeralds form, it's in a hydrothermal environment, which causes a lot of gas and a lot of liquids and fluids. And in the meantime, all of these things become trapped inside the crystal during formation. And these three phase inclusions are really intriguing and really interesting because inside a gas bubble, you may have a liquid that when you turn the crystal, you can actually see the liquid move. And then on one end inside the inclusion is a little solid, teeny, tiny crystal inclusion. It could be something else, you know, another mineral that was formed, kind of got caught and trapped in there. But it's a really, really cool inclusion, like a, a whole other world of, of amazing science art. You can't even you can't even imagine inclusions are, but you're, you're exactly right. That is one of the identifying inclusions for a natural emerald. Absolutely. And it's really cool to see if you're a geek, like, like myself and Brenna, <laughs> you see these kinds of things. You're like, oh my God, because it's, oh my, it's like a miracle that these conditions existed altogether in the first place. But then it's in miniature. It's 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 so small on such a small scale that you need a microscope to see it to begin with. Right. Um, that's how small it is. And that this existed and then a, a crystal was able to form with all of these attributes and become an emerald um, and survive because emeralds are somewhat, I'm going to call them fragile. You know, they're not really that, they're that hard. They're like a 7.8, 7 to 7.8 on the most scale of hardness. Um, not the, and they're not tough either. They have poor toughness. Um, toughness is the um, ability to withstand breaking and hardness is the ability to withstand scratching. So the most scale me measures hardness and they're not really that hard and they're not really that tough. So the fact that then they were able to be mined um, and, and made their way to a jewelry counter is a miracle. Yeah, you're right. Because, because of their, their formation and because of the, the different components and forces that were involved in their formation, it does cause a lot of fissures and cracks and breaks and potential cracks and breaks in the emerald crystal. And just like you were saying before, the um the garden that real i think it's beautiful and a lot of people don't like emeralds because they are um notoriously yeah, yeah they're heavily included typically mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. you come across one that is you know a freak of nature <laughs> and um unobtainable by by most people and a lot you know featured in museums the shape of an emerald also is typically going to be an emerald cut an emerald cut came from the emerald, um, because you want to make sure that you get a deep color and cutting it a certain way, but also protecting the edges of an emerald um, with this type of cut, the emerald cut, because you have to kind of bezel the edges because they are very susceptible to breakage. So okay. um, I always tell people, if you're going to have an emerald ring, have a bezel set. 
Yes. Or gypsy yes. set, some flesh set, something. Do not leave the edges exposed to an emerald. Yes. So yeah. that brings up some really important points. And for those of you who don't know what bezel setting means, a bezel is a rim of metal, whether it's set in gold, white gold, um, platinum, it's a very rim, like a frame. And the, the gemstone is set down flush to the, the, um, the top of where the stone is shown. And, and Adrian's perfectly, um, right about that option of, of setting because it does protect the edges and it also sets the stone a little bit lower. So this kind of brings us to the question of is emerald a good option for an engagement ring? While it does have pretty decent hardness, you really have to think long and hard about protecting a stone like emerald in a ring that's going to be worn on a daily basis. Yes. And also about the maintenance of it. Um, you know, can you wear it every day? What's your lifestyle like? Like that's what, when you're thinking about an engagement ring and a center stone, you need to first think about your lifestyle. Um, if you're someone who uses your hands a lot or you're doing, um, you don't want to take off your engagement ring, first of all, because you know, you want, you're engaged and you want to keep it on, but you, but you use your hands a lot. Emerald might not be good for you. Right. You know, I wouldn't suggest it. I um, know someone who designed an emerald ring. She did a um, pear shape. She got, she sourced it from Zambia, had it cut there. She did a pear shape, but she completely enclosed it in 18 karat gold um, in a bezel setting. Uh-huh. Completely. No diamonds, nothing. And it was um, beautifully set, five point some carats, um, minor oil, absolutely stunning. Um, this, this person doesn't work. Um, she's a stay at home. She'll be a stay at home um, mom, but then you're going to have, you're going to have a baby, you know, you don't know, you know, half the time when you're a, a parent and you have young kids, you are saving their lives every five minutes or, you know, trying to avoid disaster with their jumping off of furniture and it's like, right. you know, she might make a different choice or she may put her ring up and not wear it as right. much. You know, so um, you definitely don't want to wear an emerald on your dominant hand either. So your engagement ring finger is usually on your left hand. Um, if you're a lefty, I wouldn't, another thing, I wouldn't suggest an emerald. Um, also, you have to think about the treatment that, that we mentioned, the minor oil or major oil treatment. You may have to have it sent back in to be retreated. Mm hmm because at some point, depending on your lifestyle, again, um, some of that uh, material that was used to fill the fissures may leak out. You may be right. cleaning it improperly or you may be cleaning it properly. I don't know. Like we always have to talk about methods also. Like just because something was done doesn't mean it was done well. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't done well. And so you know, it wasn't filled properly or whatever, you know, so that's the maintenance on an emerald. Some things to consider. I, now if someone gave me an emerald, I actually have an emerald ring. I don't wear it a lot. Um, they are, um, flash set. Um, so they're set down inside of a, um, protective, like almost like, um, you know, when I used to have those tanning things that you 
put around your face to make the light reflect. Yes. Face. That's called like a flash setting. Uh-huh. Emeralds that are set, um, set down in like five emeralds in the band that are set down in those. They're pretty protected. I still don't wear it though, because I'm right. just hyper aware of emeralds. So I wear it when I feel like looking at something green, like, like you said, that particular shade of green for emeralds, it's very distinct. I always um, compare it to a green light on a traffic sign. Mm-hmm. That's the teal mm-hmm. color of an emerald. I mean, they got that spot on. Yes. These the yes. ones in Philadelphia. I can't say I, I really probably haven't paid attention to the rest of the world. But whenever I look at a green light in Philadelphia, it reminds me of like a perfect, the perfect hue of an emerald. Yeah. Green, yeah. but slightest tinge of blue that is present. You're not really aware of it, but you're, you are aware of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And really nice ones. They almost glow. They do. Yes, they do. Yeah. yeah like Ruby, they have the same um, chromium is responsible for that glow. The zombie and emeralds tend to have less clarity. Um, I'm sorry, less inclusions. Mm-hmm. They tend to be more clear. So mm-hmm. that could also be a clue if you're trying to do argin. Mm. Emerald, if it yeah. has very good clarity, instead of thinking it's lab created, you might want to rule out whether it's from Zambia or not. That's a really good tip. Yeah. Um, one other factor that makes an emerald an emerald is the color definition or the yes. oh, yeah. color green barrel yeah. yes green barrel and emerald yes yes yeah yes. so a few weeks ago i did a podcast about aquamarine which was the birthstone for march and i talked about a lot of these concepts of the contributing um, trace elements that contribute to color and uh, also the color designators and it's really important to there's and there's a certain intensity and a certain um saturation that an emerald must be for it to be qualified as an emerald so it's a very fine line and i still you know we probably see a lot of people calling emeralds but they're they really should be called green barrel because the intensity and the saturation just is not high or deep enough for a true emerald so that's another thing for people who are purists and yeah. really want, you know, a true emerald. That's something to know about as the, you know, the gemological definition. And there are a few st- gemstones that are like that. Ruby is another one. If it's not intense enough, then it's a pink sapphire because right. it's all corundum. But a, a ruby is a red corundum, same family as sapphire. But if it's not red enough, it cannot be called a ruby. And that, I'm not sure about emerald, but I know that the ruby and the red sap, excuse me, pink sapphire is a very cultural definition assigned to that. And some parts of the world it is going to be a ruby, even if it's a pink sapphire. Oh, interesting. Yes, okay. And in particular, India is very sensitive yeah. about that. Now, what I must say also about that, I get it. You know why? This is something else to be careful of. And it wouldn't, it doesn't apply to the green barrel and emerald because those are very distinct. That line to me is very clear. Mm-hmm. The tone and saturation mm-hmm. for, uh, excuse me, green barrel and emerald. However, 
when you're in other parts of the world, the same gemstone can look different in different hemispheres. So if you go, even when you're in an airplane, you're, the color of your gem will look different. Right. So this is why I think, in my opinion, why India, if someone is in India looking uh -huh. at it, and then you send it to New York and you go, what are you talking about? This is not a ruby. I paid for a ruby. You sent me a pink sapphire. You have to be very careful. And this is why the gemological labs have master stones, because you take the master stone with you to India. Uh huh. If that gem that you're looking at in India does not match your master stone, it doesn't have the same hue and intensity. It's not going to be a ruby because right. ruby that's what you want it to look like wherever you are in the world. You want that same hue, intensity, saturation, anywhere you go in the world. This is why you take master stones with you when you're looking at gems in other parts of the world. Uh-huh. Because you want it to match or exceed what you already have. Uh-huh. You get home, that gem that you looked at in India is going to look different. Once you hit New York, it's going to look different. It's different. The light is different. Huh. That's Even the buildings, look, the buildings in New York, right? You have right. all these buildings up. You have a lot of light pollution. You have a lot of pollution. The air quality is different. That's why it's important to take master stones with you. Or at the very least, let's say you're a consumer. Mm -hmm. Have it, an emerald that you love. You want a companion piece to it, whether it be earrings, necklace, or whatever. Take it with you. Yes. Because you want it to, whatever it looks like at home, if you're taking it with you, you're going to get a good sense of how close is it to what you already have. You want it to match or exceed what you already have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can't trust your eye to remember that. Colors, I mean, we see a, the ability of the human eye to see colors, even using your phones and your devices is not great when it comes to gemstones. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know that. Yes, I do. And I really, that's a perfect, that's a great point that you just made. So for people who want to match something and they're very intent on that being a match, especially if they're in pro close proximity, earrings and rings, you can get away with it, but earrings and pendants and necklaces and bracelets. Yes. Yes. So um, that's so important. So if, if, People want to add to their collection, like a suite of jewelry, just like you were talking about. Um, make sure you take it in because jewelers are more than happy to get in stones for people to look at so that they can fulfill those, those dreams and wishes of people who want to, you know, grow their jewelry collections. Exactly. And master stones, I'm saying master stones because that's what we call them in gemology. But as a collector or just someone who likes jewelry, right? You know, like you said, adding to your collection. So take that piece with you. Don't trust mm -hmm. your eye to be able to recall that color when you get to the jewelry store. Mm -hmm. Take it with you, sit down um, and match it up as best as you can or what makes you feel good. Like, can you live with the, the emerald in your ring being a different hue than the emerald in your necklace. Can you live with that? Some people can't. Yeah. Some people can't. Some people are very particular about, you know, gradations of color and the like, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
but I advise people to take these pieces with you. So a master stone can be something you have in your collection. That's your master stone because those are the standards that you like and that you appreciate. You engage with that color, that tone, that hue, take it with you. That's the best way to do it. Don't rely on your memory, your color memory. No good. That's really good advice. Yeah. So we talked about a little bit about origin. We're going to go back to that because I think that could be a really interesting story and talk about um, historically how, how different regions came to have gemstones where there were no mines close by and maybe do some, some digging and some research on how regions came to acquire gems through trade or, or whatever. So we talked a little bit about regions and what each one looks like a little bit. And you had really good points to share as far as the uh, more um, advantageous shape for protecting the emerald. The emerald shape, the traditional rectangular shape is probably the best choice for an emerald stone. We talked about the best ways to set them, to protect them. So if it is something you wear on a regular basis and rings are going to get the, the most beating because we're always using our hands, we're bumping into things. If um, a, an emerald can be protected more as earrings or a pendant, something that's not going to get that kind of constant wear or a threat of being banged and cracked in half. Bracelets, you've got to be really careful because they spin all the way around your wrist and they're Absolutely. high risk, unless it's something you just wear, you know, for special occasions where you're not going to be moving around a lot. It's just going to be a special occasion where you're going out to dinner or to a show. And that way, you know, you're not banging it on a countertop or something like that. So these are all really good tips on the best ways to wear emeralds. We talked a little bit about the inclusions and how we as gemologists and, you know, maybe budding gemologists, they can start looking for their own inclusions for clues that will give them origin and also to tell whether or not it's a natural emerald or a lab grown emerald. So what else can we share with people about the wonderful world of emeralds? I also want to caution people. I think we touched on it a teeny bit about cleaning emerald jewelry, Mm -hmm. like never the ultrasonic cleaner. I I love an ultrasonic cleaner. I'm not even going to lie. I love a steamer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had a steamer before I became a gemologist because I just I'm just really obsessed with with jewelry and cleaning jewelry. But those are no no's for um for emeralds because the steamer can not only dislodge a gem from a setting if you're not careful because it's a very powerful force behind a steamer, but it can also leach out some of the filler. Right, right it makes um, emerald more susceptible to breaking, more susceptible. Mm-hmm is um so you want to clean your emeralds with um warm and and temperature shock is another thing with emeralds you don't want to have it go from cold to hot or hot to cold your temperature should be consistent really with most gems right but with emeralds in particular yes you want to keep the um, water somewhat warm mild soap um nothing harsh again because you have the fillers and most emeralds, you don't want ammonia, which is good for some 
gems. Diamonds mostly and corundum can take ammonia. And it's actually in some uh, commercial jewelry cleaners, but I don't recommend it because it can damage your setting. So, right. you know, I like the natural um, jewelry cleaners um, that use natural ingredients because then you can mostly clean anything with those. You don't have to worry about switching up and remembering what's what. So right. um, your your emeralds, um, your emerald jewelry should be warm, soapy, mild, soapy water. Mm -hmm. um, and your your soap water and your rinse water should be the same temperature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You should be able to stick your finger in it and and it's not too hot. Yeah. That's the deal. That's it. Let it soak, brush it a little bit with a soft baby toothbrush or an old toothbrush that you've had um, that you use for your teeth and it's no longer good for your teeth. Those are good toothbrushes because they're soft. Now at that point you right. want it down. So that's right. my recommendation for and I would take my emeralds and to be um inspected probably once every two years by my, you know, inspected by my trusted jeweler. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They should be able to see if it needs to be re-oiled or, you know, clarity enhanced. Um, you know, maybe some of that uh, oil that we talked about that's used for clarity enhancement has, mm -hmm. um, has been uh, leached out with, you know, normal wear and tear. Hmm. Those are I my, yeah. Those, th those are all great tips. I didn't know that they could be retreated and yeah, it just never occurred to me. That's a really good thing to know. And mm -hmm. um, Adrian and I touched on this before and how treatments, gem, gem treatments. And I touched on this on the podcast about aquamarine as well. Gem treatments that are accepted, widely accepted and used in gemology and the gem trade are legitimately acceptable by the federal trade commission and they have been cleared and and they're they're safe um it's something that we don't disclose all the time only because it's such a common standard across the the whole industry and trade but um what was i going to say oh i like to kind of liken uh, treatment and a lot of the treatment is to enhance color in colored stones because that's the big focus for colored stones is the color. So um, I explained in that podcast before that most of the time it's heat treated to enhance color. And in the case of emerald and sometimes ruby, they're oiled to enhance the color or to, um, you know, to fill some of the the natural inclusions and fissures that the, that the gem crystal had. Um, and I like to liken it to when you season food, whether you add sugar or salt, it's kind of like that you're enhancing the color. And a lot of times this happens in nature. Gemstones are heated in situ in the, the geological environment. In fact, zoocyte is one of those. Zoocyte right. is naturally kind of an int real interesting color, but you would never recognize that it's tanzanite. Right. It's, it was heated by contact metamorphism and whatever formation. So that was naturally heated in mm -hmm. nature to turn it that beautiful, deep violet blue color. So heat happens in nature as just, just as much as it does through man-made intervention. 
or a man, you know, human intervention. So um, I'd like to make sure the people aren't afraid of that concept of treatment because it's widely used and our gemstones wouldn't be as pretty without it. <laughs> or affordable, right? Because if if the oh, market yeah. only had available um, non-treated gemstones, most of us wouldn't be able to buy anything. Very true. Very true. We wouldn't be able to enjoy uh, a lot of the colored gemstones. Um, there are very few colored gemstones um, that haven't been enhanced in some kind of way um, right. through through man. Um, one example, and we're getting off topic, but for example, Yogo Sapphire is so beautiful. Um, the blue is so beautiful. It does not have to be enhanced. In fact, they make it a point to tell you that it's not enhanced. Right. It's very expensive. I can't afford it. Um, it is very beautiful, but not enhanced. That's a big, so they make it a point to talk about it not being enhanced. Mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but if you're buying an emerald and you're buying commercially, I'll call it, and you're not on the um, collector's level, you're not buying it at auction at Sotheby's or Christie's or Bonham's. I'm just using some of the big auction houses. Mm -hmm. It is 98% a surety that it has been color enhanced, clarity enhanced, or oiled. Right. That's what you should expect. Your jeweler, whoever you're buying it from, should be disclosing that to you. You should expect that. Um, yes. That has been enhanced. I'm just telling you. Um, and so you can look that up on Google. You can go on GIA's website. Um, you can go to Swiss Gemological Institute's West website. Um, and they're stable, they're stable treatments. And that's another reason why we don't worry about them too much, unless it is something that could be unstable, like the oiling or, you know, the, um, the tendency for a, a surficial treatment to leach out. And right. then people need to know, just like what you were sharing with us, you know, cleaning or under too much heat or steaming an emerald piece of jewelry it may, it may render it really making it look really different than, than it did when it was first purchased. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for being here with us. We covered so much. And as we, as we move forward, I'm really excited because I'm going to have you come back and visit with us. And we're going to talk about other gemology topics with, um, June coming up. June has three stones. Yes. yes. Yeah. And one of them is really unique and I'll, I'll save it as a surprise. I'm sure a lot of people know what it is, but it's really interesting. And we're going to talk about gemstones that kind of do tricks. They change colors or, <laughs> or they, they look totally different and um, so we're, we're, I'm really looking forward to having you join me again, and we'll have lots of fun talking about June's birthstones and into, you know, the rest of the year for all kinds of other fun jewelry and gem topics. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I could keep you here for hours. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, once I get started um, and, you know, speaking with someone who is 
um, as passionate and, and, and knowledgeable, more probably more knowledgeable than I am about gems because you have the geology background. So I was fascinated listening to you speak about geological conditions that attribute um, certain things to gemstones, you know, and minerals. So that was fun for me. As I said, I was going to learn for you and I hope you learned something from me. Absolutely. I sure did. Well, I think we're, we're a great, we're a great team. And I think we'll have a lot of fun things to share with people. Awesome. Um, me too. Well, I look forward to many more conversations and um, staying connected and working together. That's going to be really fun. Absolutely. Okay. You have an awesome rest of your evening and thanks again. You're welcome, Adrian. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. I hope you enjoyed my visits with Adrian, both parts one and two. And I look forward to future visits with her as she has so much to share. It's always a great idea to bounce ideas and get outside opinions and hear what other gemologists and people in the trade are seeing and hearing out there. So please look forward to future visits with Adrian. And also, I hope it gave you some insight on emerald gemstones and how to wear them and what to look for. Certainly, emeralds that have not been treated are fairly rare and are going to be costly. And then ones that are available on the commercial market, they aren't going to be as much, but you do need to be aware of what to expect with particular treatments and how to make sure that they maintain the integrity of the gemstone and the beauty. Like I mentioned before, I'm going to be with Todd Wax and Mary Vanderay at the New Jersey Fossil Gem and Jewelry Show, and that's in Edison, New Jersey. That'll be next week, May 17th through the 21st, so it's a nice long span of days. Come and check out beautiful gemstones and minerals and fossils. If you've never been to a gem and mineral show, they really are a treat and you can learn so much and just the things on exhibit are truly inspiring. So come and see us. We'll be in booth 485. And once again, that's in Edison, New Jersey. And I believe is it it's at the Edison Convention Center. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me Brenna at jewelrynavigator.com. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.